the police, even where they have you know, a good number of officers, they're spending more time on issues that previously wouldn't really have been you know, considered something that the police should get involved in. Welcome to the IA podcast. Each week, this podcast asks a tantalising policy question to tackle one of the key challenges facing the UK or even the world. This week's question, how do we tackle crime? Joining me to answer it is the IA's very own research assistant, Dan Freeman. Uh, although I would say we come from quite different strands of the classical liberal umbrella, we have definitely discussed and found some common ground on this particular issue recently. And it is most certainly uh, a very uh, pertinent issue at the moment, as we were reminded earlier this week with some of the violence at the Notting Hill Carnival and the government's promise to uh, enforce the laws they should already have been enforcing in some of mm. these circumstances. So, Dan, thank you very much for joining me. Yeah, no, that thanks discussion. for having me on. And I'm, uh, I'm very glad you've moved closer to my more sensible position on, on, on this. Indeed, indeed. And I hope you'll move to some of my more sensible positions in future. Do you, do you have any sensible positions? Not too many, no. to be honest, but we'll get there. Um, so, to start off with, what exactly has happened in the UK with crime over the last decade or so? Well, I think on this, it's important not to get too trapped up in kind of uh, America, America break, um, which I know is a chronic issue for you, but, for, <laughs> uh, but also uh, across British politics, is to assume that because there are certain trends going on in America, you can exactly transfer that to, to Britain, which isn't necessarily the case when it comes to crime. So um, in America, what we've seen in the last two years, really since the um, George Floyd killing and the, the protests and riots which followed that, um, is you saw a dramatic increase um, in, in violent crime, particularly homicides, up by about 30%. Um, and that has been sustained. It's starting to come down a bit now. Um, but we haven't really seen that in Britain. In Britain, we're in ter in terms of you know, homicides, we basically um, are roughly where we were before um, before the pandemic. So you're getting about six hundred ish murders each year, which is very bad, and it's you know much much higher than the murder rate we had in say 1960 but it, it's lower than some of the rates that we might have had in um, the early 2000s for example and and overall crime has most crime has been coming sort of slowly down from a peak in the, the mid 1990s and that applies to a lot of uh, a lot of other western countries um, but often people who are, you know, um, uh, who talk about this often go, ah, well, look, it's crime is somewhat lower than it was in the early 90s, therefore that's great. Well, it's better than it was, but the, the 1990s come as, as a kind of peak after dec about three decades of very substantial increases in the amount of crime, especially violent crime. Um, so... It's not terrible, but we could do significantly better. Absolutely. And what is incredibly frustrating about this particular 
sort of spike in reports of crime, at least, is police inaction. Mm. The police being rather ineffective. I'm particularly thinking with burglaries and bike thefts. I think it's under 5% of bike thefts are even fully investigated, never mind yeah. actually solved. And nobody our age can live in London without knowing someone who's experienced uh, uh, their phone getting stolen, I mean, even a mugging, and yeah. the police just giving them a report number to give to their insurance company mm. and then doing very little else. This is uh, something that's been going on for a fair few years, at least you see anecdotal reports of it, but now it's becoming very, very difficult to ignore. Why? Are the police not doing the very basic functions of their job? That's that's a, a really good question. Um, I, I I think you know part part of it is that um, what is seen as their job is continuously expanding. So um, uh, you know. Parliament continues to pass more and more more laws. And there are areas that 20 years ago no one would have thought of as being the police's job. So part of it, we, we see quite a bit of this, is um, social media. So, um, you know, 25, 30 years ago, Facebook did not exist. But beyond that, there was also not a belief that the police are there to kind of investigate people having arguments online and using, you know, or or making, you know, very off-colour jokes. Um, and so you have the police, even where they have, um, um, you know, a good number of officers, they're spending more time on issues that previously wouldn't really have been you know, considered something that the police should get involved in. And as this uh, issue with crime has become impossible to ignore, mm. um, there has been, thankfully, a quite a, a strong discourse springing up around it of people mm. you know, proposing ideas about what to do to try and contain it, to try and yeah. stop it. Um, and most of that energy has been on the right, you know, with people like Ed West, for example. Mm. He bangs on about this all the time and, and does it very well. Um, but one of the areas I think where you know sort of free market and classical liberal um, voices can come in and really be constructive on this issue is the one you just described, which is there are way too many laws, mm. and they are. And not only is that a bad thing, you know, morally, you know, nobody likes to see what was it something like ten policemen going to to take that poor girl in Leeds away oh, for, yeah, for yeah. allegedly implying that one of the, the police women looked like a lesbian. Mm. Um, nobody wants to see that. It's profoundly unjust. But also, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of stuff going on at night in Leeds that those 10 cops could be attending yeah. to. They are, you know, there's an opportunity cost to that. Mm. What type of... Um, so what type of laws beyond sort of just speech restrictions and the like could we perhaps be looking at again to get rid of um, mm. so that, well, the police do their basic job, which is to protect life and property? Yeah, well, I mean, what you could look at is is laws around the the possession of, of at least some some drugs. Now, you, you, can, you can make the case that sort of 
not a huge, you know, there aren't huge numbers of people in prison today because they've been caught with, you know, a small bag Indeed, of cannabis. Yeah. That, that's, and even in America, that is largely, largely a myth. Indeed. But, um, if, if, um, if possession is still treated as a criminal offence, you are having um, police who have to record this, who, if they, if they find... Um, you know, people in possessions of drugs, they have to, you know, spend time um, taking them down to the police station. You, you, And over time, this sort of thing adds up. So it might be, um, regardless of your position on, you know, legalisation of, of drugs overall, which you're broadly in favour of. Very much so. I'm a bit more sceptical about. Um... um if you start to basically take an approach that uh, you say drugs under a certain amount, we're just not going to treat it as a police matter. Yeah. Um, that might be something that um, politicians could could look at, so that the police can actually spend their time dealing with you know bike thefts, muggings, burglaries, the things we you know really can all agree are bad and we want to suppress. Precisely. And often when classical liberals, libertarians, free marketers talk about crime, it is in the context of the police often do very bad and violent things, particularly mm. in the US, it's much less of a problem, you know, yeah. police violence in the UK, so to speak. Um, but uh, it's about, you know, the, the state can be very violent as well. It often mm. puts laws into place which are, you know, just as, as, as uh, which victimise people just as much as perhaps criminals do. But what, as you say, every, literally everyone agrees on, regardless of their political ideology, to like 90% of an extent, is that, yeah, um, people shouldn't be allowed yeah. to go around murdering people and just, just nicking bad. their stuff. Stabbing's, Stabbing's bad. bad. A point of unity, um, I think, for everybody. Yeah. Um, oh, but, although shoplifting is a kind oh, of that's don't a, get an started issue. on that. That's, um, when that's another great example of yeah. where you just do see loads of reports of the police doing very little, even mm. when people have CCTV footage of the person yeah. that's come in. Likewise, we mentioned phone thefts, where yeah. you, can, you have find my iPhone data saying it's there, and yeah. the police is just like, no, I can't do anything about that, mate. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it, there does seem to be, a, 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 as you say, it must be because they're overstretched. Like, mm. you know, I'm sure these policemen want to go and catch criminals. That's mm. why they become policemen most yeah. of the time. Um, but when it comes to the, the, the impact of violent crime, whether it be things like theft and fraud, but also just brute violence like murder mm. uh, or mugging, um, the, the, the impacts go far beyond mm. the specific victim of a yeah. case, doesn't it? And I think it's that that we need to sell to people who are broadly of a liberal disposition, whether they completely agree with us or not. Yeah, that those effects are profoundly, you know, just, a, just an awful drain on society mm. writ large as well. Yeah, I mean, there's um, uh, there's a theory that certainly in the US and to a lesser extent in Britain, uh, one of the big contributors to to NIMBY sentiment is essentially displaced fear of crime. Yes. So so that um, people feel that oh, if we if we permit more affordable housing to be built near us, it's going to lead to, you know, more bike thefts, more muggings, that that kind of thing. And um, if there's a perception that the police aren't really going to do anything about that, then 
the the only way that people can uh, feel as if they can defend themselves against that is by saying, oh well, we don't we don't want anyone from outside coming into our area, yeah. um, and so it it has knock on effects like that. And that there, I guess there could be just as there is the housing theory of everything, a crime theory of everything as well, right? And yeah. The, the impacts well, well, are, the, are wide ranging and long reaching. Well, there's um, Ben Ben Southwold's uh, piece in um, uh, Works in Progress. Uh, a few okay. ma- uh, there a, is a, few a crime months. theory of everything. Well, well it's, it, I'm not sure. I don't think he quite called it. That in the, the description. But uh, yeah, it was, it's essentially he estimated that the um, total annual cost to the U.S. economy of crime overall is about 2.6 trillion dollars um part of that is simply you know people um having their stuff nicked which is which is bad on on its own level but a lot of that is um things like people moving out of of cities um private security that's become increasingly um prevalent in in um in wealthier areas in america um and this it just contributes to a a a, you know serious economic problems that you can't just ignore and say oh well this is this is something for you know those mean conservatives to to think about free market is we we should just be thinking about you know the the top rate of corporation tax yeah um, which don't which get we, me wrong. We should that's, be as well. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. Should, we should be Big thinking drain on about. The economy too. Yeah, should be thinking about that as well. But um, some of these more basic issues are really important, and you know, at, at a at a basic level, um, having having your phone nicked at knife point is a huge invasion of property rights. Massively. So, you know, free marketers should have a stance on it. Yes, and I'd certainly say that that change in mentality is, uh, has, has definitely occurred with me, whereby my general disposition is to be very suspicious of, of the state. Mm. The, the, you know, I think it's sort of quite a violent, damaging entity in and mm. of itself. But uh, you know, just as I think people who are too far on the tough on crime scale maybe forget that the state can be incredibly violent yeah. and oppressive too, so do do people on the far you know, wet on crime yeah. scale forget that you know criminals and gangs are brutal yeah. um, and oppressive mm. and damaging and that you know we, we, yeah. we, we, we ought not we ought not forget that mm. and we ought not you know close our minds to ideas that will actually change that and yeah I, I think part of the issue is that people have sort of um, Many people on, on both sides of this issue, both in Britain and America, um, have kind of conflated the idea of being anti-crime with being pro-police in every yes. aspect. And so there's sort of um, an assumption from some on the right that, oh, well, we think crime is really, really bad. Okay, fair enough. The, um, and... There are these lefties who are less concerned about it and they hate the police. And therefore, we need to back the police yes. on everything. You know, there's, they're great, they're heroes. There's, there's, there's no issues, of, you know, of, um, 
uh, of abuse of power or just incompetence. Um, whereas I, I think that's a really mistaken position. If you do want to deal with crime, you have to have a police force that is properly scrutinised yes. and is good at its job. Absolutely. Um, and expecting that of the police um, is is not the same as being sort of pro-crime. Absolutely. Um, and, and that sort of raises the question quite nicely, what do we do to stop this? How can we change policy? whether it's small-scale stuff or broad-scale philosophical changes to the way we please to try and, and sort of nip this in the bud before it becomes an mm. even bigger issue. Yeah, so the, over, over the last 50-plus years, there have been lots of ideas circulating among police forces, among criminologists, sociologists, about, oh, what, what exact strategy do we need to... To, to fight crime, do we need do swimming pools help, or or more more youth clubs, or or this one particular tactic that the police should use? Whereas the evidence for a lot of this is quite mixed. What does have very strong evidence behind it um, from lots of studies is that basically having more police about on the streets yes. brings down crime. Yeah, um, you. You, you don't have to sort of think that police are all brilliant heroes um, who are, you know, never make a mistake. But the evidence is very, very clear that when generally about a 10% uh, increase in, in police on, on the beat usually leads to about a 4% reduction in violent crime or thereabouts. There are some, there are some studies that suggest it's, it's even higher. Um, so that's one thing, um, having the physical presence of police about. That's one thing where we agree with general political platitudes, right? It's a, a yeah. popular promise to go around saying, we're going to put more bobbies on the beat. Well, yes, actually, that's good. Can you, yeah. actually, can you actually do that and make, yeah. make them very visible and target them in, in high crime areas? Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it is actually one of these, um, you know, um, um, in, inverted curve situations where you, you've got the sort of uh, middle position which is like, oh no, it's much more complicated than We that. need swimming pools. Yeah. It's, oh no, you need to pursue broken window policing or this type of community-led... No, you basically just need more, more police about and yeah. that will, all things being equal, lower crime. Um, and another thing is um, basically uh, for violent crime, prison does work mm. um, in terms of um, the very substantial majority of violent crime is committed by a really quite small number of people yeah. um, who you know, commit crime over and over again. Um, and prison, prison isn't very good um, at, um, at reforming people. Um, it, uh, that there's not much evidence it, it does a good job for you know convincing people not not to do crimes but it is very good at basically stopping repeat offenders repeatedly offending yes um and the the big the big thing that actually um uh, uh reduces recidivism is basically just age yeah. like as people get into the pr primarily 
you know, as men, yeah. primarily do the vast majority of crime, get into their 30s, they tend to do less of it. Um, and so, basically, if you have someone who is repeatedly committing crimes over and over again, basically putting them in prison does kind of work. Yeah. And it's not always a, a nice thought to think that there are this small group of repeat offenders who, for the most part, just not interested mm. in being, you know, uh, peaceful, um, contributing members of society that, yeah. that just will often commit crime. Um, but it does seem to be true. Uh, mm. It's called the power law of crime, isn't it? And was something that really st struck me, especially when uh, it was Owen Jones on, on Good Morning Britain this week talking about, oh, youth services, youth clubs, swimming pools, you know, they've all been you know, cut, funding for that's been cut by three quarters. Yeah. That's behind the rise in crime. I, I mean, okay, fair point, but I think the, the power law of crime, the, the, one of the strongest um, studies we've had into, into whether this is a real thing so far is a, a large study of, of Sweden between, is it 1975 and 2004, something like that? Uh, is, is this the one where it shows sort of 1%? Yeah. What, uh, account for about 70% of all Yeah, I think crime. it's in the, low, yeah. in the low 60s, but yeah. it's still absolutely massive. And Sweden, yeah. Sweden, I think, you know, Owen Jones would admit, is yeah. somewhere that has a pretty good... Um, funding for social services yeah. and a safety net and it, yeah. you know it's also a, a very peaceful society where people yeah. sort of get along and be lefties together yeah. and yet still you you observe this effect and yeah. even in the United States where crime is much much wider and social services are a bit more patchy yeah. um, even there and you you still have this small group of people yeah. and I think it's I think again it's something in the low 60s of second and third and fourth and fifth and so on yeah. time offences and convictions yeah, you know that, it, that in the entire year, sixty-three percent of them, or something like that, are, uh, are the, are the the total number of convictions are second, third, fourth time offences. Yeah, and and that's the thing. I think uh, th this idea that oh, it's um, it's necessarily social services and and um, poverty and unemployment that leads leads people to commit crime. Um, or that there are lots of people who are um, who otherwise wouldn't you know commit crime repeatedly who are um, you know start doing it because social services are cut just doesn't really map on to the evidence that actually exists historically so um, you see crime rates which in uh, Britain and America uh, had been very, very low throughout most of the mid-20th century, start to tick up dramatically in the 1960s. And this is not a time of high unemployment and few social services. This is a time where employment is, you know, at an all-time low. Yeah. Um, um, more money is being poured into, you know, social services and programmes in, in urban areas. Yeah. Um, and yet crime starts to tick up. And then it continues to tick up through the 1970s um, at roughly the same rate as it had before. And then, oh, you can say, ah, oh, but 70s, lots of economic problems, lots of unemployment. But then you get into the 80s and it keeps ticking up. And it keeps ticking up basically until the early 90s. 
and then it starts to steady, steadily tick down. And it even ticks down, continues ticking down in, in the UK uh, after 2010, after we get loads of cuts to, um, to uh, you know, youth clubs and, and um, local government funding. But it doesn't seem to have had that much impact on, on crime. It continues ticking down. So it seems there are other factors. Now, you can still say youth clubs are great. You can still say, oh, yeah, publicly funding swimming pools are, are great to have and all that. That's fair enough. But I think it's difficult to sustain the argument that this uh, is the main driving force behind behind crime um, absolutely it's, it's not uh, but it would be it wouldn't necessarily be right to say that there are zero social causes of crime mm. that there there will be plenty of people who if you stuck that exact same individual in a very different set of circumstances or even if if they had just avoided uh, one or two wrong turns in their life things might be a bit different mm. um, and there are a lot of theories about how this could be and, and to what extent these things are, you know, social causes of crime and when they sort of become embedded in people. Mm. But, you know, things like whether it's about poverty, whether it's, I mean, unemployment seems to be, uh, that was one I always thought was uh, pretty nailed on, that higher mm. unemployment and higher crime were very, very closely related. Apparently it's the case that they're not. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, whether it's unemployment, whether it's poverty, whether it's uh, fatherlessness, for mm. example, whether it's uh, the high levels of lead in the air mm. in the 60s and 70s is what I've seen recently yeah. as well. Um, you know, do you do you think that any of these theories have quite a lot of explanatory value? And you know, is there something in 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 any of them? And, and in in that sense, you know, does it actually even matter? Is it still the case of, of like, well, yeah, maybe fatherlessness has mm. made you know made you given you a higher propensity towards committing crime, but you know, unfortunately, we still just have to you know stop these people reoffending and contain them in prisons. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think that's a, a really interesting point because what you do tend to find both on the left and the right is a desire to try and pin crime on the issue that they already cared a lot about. So if if you're on the right um, and you're if you're a sort of conservative and you're very upset about family breakdown and um, and divorce and fatherlessness. You can say, ah, yes, well, clearly, um, clearly, this is the issue that's uh, leading to crime. So we just need to deal with my pet issue, and then we'll we'll deal with crime. And on the left, you get that as with with Owen Jones, um, but it the evidence for all of these, as far as I can tell, is quite weak uh, as an explainer like um, fatherlessness did did not dramatically decline in Britain and the US in the 1990s like yeah it did. Cr but crime has uh, especially in the US when the the murder rate declined dramatically it's staggering um, uh, from from the early 1990s through to the um, uh, through to the uh, mid mid twenty tens, then it started to stay sort of plateau, and now it's taking back up again. Um, but yeah, I mean there are there are various theories. It is interesting that across a lot of Western countries, um, the the early nineteen nineties is kind of the point at which 
crime starts to come down. And there are various theories. So there's, you know, Levitt's idea about taking the lead yeah. out of the um, out uh, out of um, uh, petrol. Uh, yes. That's possible. Um, but it, it's also probably um, a where populations are older now. So if you have a smaller percentage of the population, which is, um, you know, teenage and in their early 20s, you're almost certainly just going to have less crime yeah. to, to start with. That, that doesn't explain all of it, but I think it's part of it. Um, on top of that, you also just have, there is more stuff for young people to do at home now. So if you go back to the 19, early 1990s or late 80s, um, if, you're, if you're like a, uh, a teenage boy and you have a load of time off in the summer, um, okay, you can stay at home and watch daytime TV. You could read, or if you're not into that, you can go and hang around on, on the streets. Whereas now... You also have, you know, the internet and PlayStation and other stuff that is more appealing. Yeah. And, and though it doesn't seem like it, a lot more opportunities to pursue what you like for a living, for yeah. example. Yeah. And education as well. Yeah. And means you, you know, you're less likely to be hanging around on the street, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's very good. And a lot of sort of food for thought there mm. um you know the the question of of how we're going to start to tackle this is one that seems i think to have some pretty simple answers to it but mm. that inevitably means that they won't adopt any of them <laughs> so there you go dan thank yeah. you very very much for joining me yeah, and thank yeah, you for having me and thank you all very much for watching uh, if you enjoyed that podcast please give it a like uh, and if you would like to see more from the ia's youtube channel please subscribe to ia london thank you very much